0: Good morning, welcome to Conroe Bible Church. Psalmist says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I hope that uh, however Thanksgiving unfolded for you, There was some relaxation, there was some refreshment, uh, lots of food, but especially some gratitude in your hearts uh, toward our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for all that he has done for us and for all that he is. Uh, to us. We are glad that you're here this morning. We've got a couple of announcements. Uh, the first one is uh, next Sunday is Chili Sunday, and that means that five o'clock over in the great room, we will gather and uh, we invite you to bring all the chili that you want to bring and even better, all the desserts that you want to bring. And uh, we will supply all the fixings for the chili and just be kind of like our July 4th, just a, a great time of fellowship together and enjoying uh, good food. And then today's starts the giving tree. And uh, that is over here in the hallway. There are actually three trees. The center tree, uh, so we're we're helping two ministry, or we're ministering to two different groups here. One is Bridgeway, and that's a group of 12 to 18-year-olds just across the interstate here. And then we're also helping out um, Parmley. We're continuing to partner with uh, Parmley Elementary. And uh, so the central tree is Parmley, and that's the giving tree like we've done over the past few Years, if you're familiar with that. And um, you, you take a, a, an ornament there, and that ornament uh, has an info tag with it, and that info tag tells you something that the child listed as a want or as a need. In fact, there are several things on it, so it gives you several suggestions, several choices to make. You keep the ornament. The ornament has the child's name on the back, and you can uh, pray for them. We ask you to pray for them and their family through this holiday season, uh, that they might experience the love of Christ and and come to know Christ if they don't yet know him. And then uh, one of the real great things this year, we get to deliver to Parmley, so we'll be delivering directly to the families, uh, to their door, and that's really exciting, so you can be praying for that as well, to develop. Uh, further relationships, deeper relationships with the people that uh, we know and love over there. If you take an ornament for Bridgeway, uh, that is uh, a group that we are doing together and your info tag will just list one type of item that you are going to buy for the entire group. And so uh, you'll bring that back with the info tag and that will be all divided up by our people and then delivered over there. They're actually gonna do a pizza party uh, with the... Uh, students at uh, bridgeway we ask you to bring them back unwrapped by sunday december 12th and we ask you to place them in the uh, library over here off of the uh, entrance hallway so that they can be wrapped and all the uh, need to bring your info tag with it so that we can keep everything straight and get everything to the right people. So it's always a great time, it's always a a great time of generosity and giving, and of course that increases the joy, and we hope that you will uh, participate in that with great joy. One other thing, uh, today is Communion Sunday, and so the Communion cups are in the back, and there is gluten-free if you need that, but we invite you to get that at the start of the service so that you'll be ready when we do uh, take communion together. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for the joy of gathering. Jesus, we thank you that you are the head of the body, the church, the body of Christ, and uh, of this local expression of it. And we are glad to gather in your name. We rejoice, uh, truly, (laughs) that this is the day that you have made, that you are the one who is sovereign over it. And we want to give our lives to you in fresh ways today. And we ask that you would connect with us in whatever way that we need you, each uniquely today. We ask for the grace to praise you wholeheartedly. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
1: would stand when you, please. Let's raise our voices to the Lord this morning. Well, I searched the world, it couldn't heal me, and man's empty praise and treasures Satisfied Here in your love Oh There's nothing Better than You There's nothing Better than You Lord There's nothing Nothing is better Than you I'm not afraid you my weakness My failures and flaws Lord, you see seen them all And you still call me friend Cause the God of the mountain Is the God of the valley but there's not a place your mercy Grace Won't find me A Oh There's nothing Better than you There's nothing Better than you Lord There's nothing Nothing is better Than you Oh Nothing better than in you, there's nothing better than in you, Lord, there's nothing, nothing is better than in you. You turn morning to dancing beauty ashes. You turn shame into glory And you're the only one who can You turn graves into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways you're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than OH, THERE'S NOTHING BETTER THAN YOU THERE'S NOTHING BETTER THAN YOU, LORD THERE'S NOTHING, NOTHING IS BETTER THAN YOU YOU TURN GRAVES INTO GARDENS YOU TURN BONES INTO ARMIES Turn seasons to highways, and you're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. You're the only. I'm not going back I'll never be the same That's why I'm singing All my hope is in Jesus Thank God that yesterday's gone And all my sins are forgiven I've been washed by the Is this kind of thing that breaks a man Breaks him down to his knees I've been broken more than a time or two Yes but you pick me up Show me what it means to be a man God that yesterday's gone. And all my sins are forgiven. And I've been washed by the blood. And all my hope is in Jesus. And thank God that yesterday's gone. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by the blood. All my sins are forgiven. I've been washed by.
2: Taste it and see of the sweetest time.
1: Father, we're so grateful to be here this morning. We just humble ourselves before you, Lord. In this time of thanksgiving, Lord, we give you the thanks, Father. We give you the thanks for all for all that you have blessed us with, Father God. And we know that we can't work for it, Father God. It's just mm-hmm. through, your, through your grace that we receive, Lord. But use us in your service daily. We pray that you will hide Pastor Matt behind the cross and that we are able to receive the word this morning, Father. Mm-hmm. We're just so thankful once again. In your heavenly name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.
3: Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Sorry, I rushed past the good morning, so I'll say it again. Good morning. Now, happy Thanksgiving. Didn't give you guys time to respond. We're going to enter into our time of, thank, of uh, communion now, so if, if you haven't gotten the, uh, uh, your preferred element in the back, there's, there's still plenty. Make your way back there. I don't know what your Thanksgiving celebration was like, but if you did have kids and even some young at heart, you probably heard the phrase, that's not fair, <laughs> especially when cutting pie. Right? We, we think this is a great example to teach fractions, but it's really just a great example to teach inequity of life. Because <laughs> life isn't fair. And I, I've, I've always, that's one of the things that I, I've just been committed with my kids to from the very early age, I'm gonna let them know, life isn't fair when I give them the smallest piece <laughs> and, and I give their brother a bigger piece. Because life isn't fair. There's a lot of reasons for why life isn't fair, right? When was the first time you figured that out for yourself? Maybe it was an experience with a sibling, that you always saw that your sibling, in your opinion, had it better off than you. Maybe you were the oldest, and that just comes natural for being the oldest. It's not fair. The younger gets away with everything, and I didn't. That's the usual mantra. And those of us that are the youngest just didn't really notice. Maybe it was when you went over to a friend's house and you noticed that their lifestyle was very different from yours, whether they just had it way better off or, or you realized you had it way better off. And you thought, why is it that my friend has all this stuff and I don't? It's not fair. Maybe it was the first time you went to a poor country. I was went to a, a third world country and you realized life is not fair. These people live in a situation and I just didn't even realize how well off I had it. Life isn't fair. That is the I, I think one of the most praiseworthy elements of our times of communion and what we have in our our unity in Christ. And there are a few times when it works out on a Sunday morning where communion and the sermon topic kind of align. And so it does today. And it's all about unity in Christ. And when I think about the, the disciples, the people that Jesus w- was trying to, to shape and, and bring them together as one so that they may go out and change the world and the power of the Holy Spirit, think about how different they were How often they, Jesus probably heard the same thing. That's not fair. Why can't I be the one that gets to do that? Think about all the times they complained or argued. Uh, I want to be next to you when the kingdom comes. I want to go in and do, I want to be a part of, why does he get to do it and I don't? Why, why, why is this my job? And that's, why does John get to keep living? And I'm going to apparently suffer a martyr's death. You see that over and over and over again. I'm a big proponent of the Chosen show that's that's out there. And and if you haven't been watching it or are unaware, I would really strongly suggest you watch it. Um, And I have never done that with any other Christian-based media um, because it really is so well done, but also you get a very good sense of the humanity of the disciples. And they really do a good job of drawing out how different that Jesus was not taking this like-minded group of people that already were getting along and and creating the church out of it. He was taking people from opposite ends of the spectrum and making them one. And in fact, he said in his high priestly prayer, and I think because he recognized how different that they were still fighting even at the end, still fighting, I pray that you will be one, right? I pray that you will be one just like I and the Father am one. I mean, you had... Matthew, a tax collector, a corroborator of the occupying country. And then you had zealots that were actively fighting against the occupying country, coming together and following Jesus at the same time. You had Peter and everybody else. It's like Peter couldn't get along with anybody. And you see the sons of thunder that apparently were very passionate and probably getting everyone upset when they would, you know, call out people and, and just didn't seem to have a lot of empathy You had followers of John the Baptist come and join Jesus that that left John and said, we're going to go follow Jesus. Think about the very different styles of leadership that John the Baptist had than Jesus had. And yet you see, as you read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit do a miraculous thing. And you see the body of Christ come together and be one. In fact, Paul writes, and this is what I want us to, to think on as we enter into our time of communion. In Ephesians, Paul says this. It'll be on the screen for you to, and, and as I read it, I just want you to, to think on what he's saying and, and think about why it has to be said, <laughs> why it has to be said about the body of Christ, all these, uh, just the, the inequity of, of us all, that we all come f- from different points of view and different ways of doing things, and, and, and yet we, we become one. In, verse, or in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. That's a word that's, that we're going to spend a lot of time on today, with patience. Bearing with one another in love. I can Highlight, underline that word in your mind because we're gonna, that's going to be a, a driving force in our understanding of how we become one. Bear with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's the next word word we're going to consider this patience and peace and how those two work together with how we are to bear with one another in love. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I would say there is one communion together. And in Luke 22, I want to lead us through this time of communion, but before I do, let's spend a time of prayer together and, and, and just going in an attitude of thanksgiving for how God has brought you into the body of Christ, this, this one, and that we, even though our humanity and our our nature to fight and separate that God's miraculous nature continues, that we continue to have unity in the body. Let's come together with a, a prayer of thanksgiving, but also a time of meditation on this passage. How does that include you? How are you called to walk worthy in humility and gentleness and patience and peace? Just let some of those thoughts kind of sit and stew inside you right now as you talk to God as we get ready to go before Him in communion. So I will close us in prayer in a minute and then lead us through our time. So go to the Lord on your own. God, I do thank you that we can be one in you. Not because we all chose to be in the same room at the same time once a week, but because of what your son did on the cross so many years ago. And you saw that the only way we could be of like minded spirit is to be in your spirit. And the only way we could do that is to have our sin taken care of. We all have a sin problem, and that's the root of the inequity of life the root of why I don't wanna be patient and live at peace, the root of why I don't wanna bear with other people in love. And yet we are called to walk in our manner worthy in all humility and gentleness to live as one, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit because of your sacrifice. And I pray even now, if there is someone here that, does not have a relationship with you, has not come to the point in their life where they could ask you for forgiveness of their sins, the thing that bars them from knowing you, that the thing that you so graciously will forgive at the exact moment that we ask. I pray that if there was someone here that feels a burden to do that, they would respond call out to you right now that this may be even the time that they are joined to the body of Christ and we could celebrate together through this time of communion in Jesus name so in Luke 22 Jesus after gathering them and teaching them it says in verse 14 and and when the hour came, he reclined a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup. So we have the bread and the cup. And if you haven't taken time to peel off or get the little piece of bread out of the little baggie, do that now. And we're going to give thanks for his body that is represented in the the bread that we are to break. So let's take the bread and I'll give thanks. God, we thank you. In this season of Thanksgiving, as you call us to live a life abounding in thanksgiving. Pray as we move forward each day that we'd remember your sacrifice and your body that was broken for us. Thank you. So let's eat the bread together. And then if you open up your cups, it says he also thanks, thank God for the cup that represents his blood spilt. The reason why his blood mattered was because he lived a life without sin. He didn't have his own debt, didn't have his own sin problem, and he paid for ours. So let's give thanks for that. God, thank you for your blood that was spilled for us, a willing sacrifice sent so that we might find peace with our creator. Thank you. So let's drink it together. God, we lift you up. We sing praises to you. We say words of thanksgiving. Thank you for salvation, for unity that comes as a result of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids can go on to Sunshine Kids Club now. It's, it's uh, K through fifth grade. If you're a guest with us, feel free to walk your kids over there and get them all registered and then come back and join us. Uh, feel free to just stack up your cups or put them in a nice neat pile under your chairs and we'll pick those up later. We, uh, Dave and I had a great opportunity to meet Jose this week. Jose came in. Um, it's one of those situations where things just kind of worked out well. Uh, I, I got there a little earlier than I normally do because of kids being off for Thanksgiving, I think, and, um, we weren't rushed anywhere, and, and so I was there. And, and also, uh, the door wasn't working—the glass doors. <laughs> it's amazing how many times we complain about those things not working, and how many times someone comes in because they didn't know how to go over to this door that's always open. And so I happened to be standing there looking at the decorations, and he just walked right in. And um, Jose it turns out was from Cuba. And many of you, uh, if you've been with us for a few years, know Dave and I, and, uh, and several other people in here went to Cuba a few times on mission trips. And so I had an opportunity to to right away be able to talk about some places that I had been and where he was from, and um, he spent four months on a boat trying to get over here with two little ones, Um, and if you didn't know, there's kind of a, what they call wet foot, dry foot thing with Cuba, where if if they can, they're not going to help you get over here, but if you can make your way and get one foot on dry land, you get asylum. Um, and then you have to go through all the process of, of getting a residency and all that. And so he's been doing that. He's been working and he's driving a truck and he was up here, uh, needed some help and came in. And uh, But what, what really got me, though, in my conversation with him was... He was just driven to tears by what we we're just talking about, the, the, the unfairness of it all, the inequity of it all. As he spoke of how in, in Cuba, you know, the stores are empty and you can't get food. And, you, you know, you never know when they're going to be open or if you're going to have money to get anything. And you come over here and go to Walmart 24 hours a day. And he said, you guys are you sit down and you feast. And over there, you know, you never know. There may be food. There may not be food. And and but what I think dro- hurt him most, and he he had broken Spanish, and I was trying to, you know, remember everything I learned in high school, and and you, you you're trying to understand. But one of the things that really seemed to hurt him most, though, was his own countrymen that had come over. You know, he, he pointed out Miami, these guys walking around with big watches and big gold chains. <laughs> And he was thinking, you know, and and we still have people in Cuba that are starving, can't eat, and these guys walking around with gold chains. And it just really frustrated him, the the inequity, the unfairness of how could my own countrymen forget and, 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 and forget that there was still a need. And really caught me because, you know, as I'm considering our passage in First Thessalonians, how similar that was to what Paul is having to call the church out for, that there seemed to be just this inequity of uh, as the church is trying to become one, this, this young early church, there's still things that always seem to come up and cause division, always seem to be uh, driving people apart as fast as Jesus can slap us together, right? We always seem to find a reason to drive us apart. And the inequity that, that Paul is pointing out is that it seems that, that some people are doing a great job of really working for the Lord in the church, in their own communities. They're able to, you know, they're having to work to support their own family. They're working to support those in need. And then you have other people, as as Dave pointed out a few weeks ago in chapter four, that seem to be under the, you know, we, we kind of assume or have, have made the uh, understanding that there was a few people that uh, misunderstood the the teaching of Jesus's return to the point that they felt they no longer had to go to work and they could just kind of hang out on the street corner. Jesus is coming back tomorrow anyway, so why work? Why help out? Why be a part of it? Why are we doing any of this? There's no reason to do any of this, and that was causing problems. And uh, and so we're going to be in 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 chapter five, but I want to actually go back and look at a section of of chapter four where, because this, what Paul says in chapter four is really reflected again in chapter five. Uh, He says in, in chapter four of 1 Thessalonians verse nine, he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But here we have, as as Dave pointed out, this, but here's, you know, there's always more you can be doing, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Work with your hands. And he's calling them to be, to, to, uh, to, yes, he's going to go in and teach about Christ's return, but there's an understanding that, yes, it could happen tomorrow, but it could also happen in 100 years. So we can't just not go to work. We still got bills to pay. We still got to help one another in need. We still got to do the work of the gospel and build up the kingdom. And in fact, this problem apparently persisted because if you jump ahead to the next letter in chapter three of second Thessalonians, he says this, I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you of, of second Thessalonians three, for even when we are with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. So this idea of I'm waiting on God has turned into a little bit more. It's become a problem. Uh, we, there's a phrase for this. Anybody know what the phrase is that has kind of come up? Idle hands make what? Devil's hand, all called, there's different forms. Devil's hand, we work, devil's workshop. Any of you think that's in the Bible? It's one of those Benjamin Franklin quotes. It's in the Bible. Interestingly enough, that concept, now we all kind of know what that means, right? Is is saying that, yeah, if you don't have something to do, and we learn this when you have kids and when you are a kid, if if, if your kids are in a room with a bunch of stuff and they have nothing productive to do, something's going to happen, right? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. It just simply means that when we are not purposeful in life, when there isn't something for us to do that's constructive, our sin nature and temptation will oftentimes get the better of us. And that's apparently what was happening in, in Thessalonica, that even though Paul had already written to them and had said, this is not the way you should live, this is, you're, you're not getting it. You know, we need to be out there being productive. We need to work. He, and he gets a lot stronger right here, right? He says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, a lot of people misapply this and they, they use it in areas of charity. This is in-house conversation. This is a family meeting. In fact, given that Thanksgiving is kind of a family meeting, this sermon today, it's a little bit of a family meeting, Right when we're talking about unity we're talking about bearing one another up, we're not talking about the guy on the street corner that you say, ah, I'm not giving him any food because if he's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. That's not, that's not what this is saying. This is talking about this persistent attitude and behavior in the church for people that have already been told, hey, this is, not, this is putting an undue burden on all the people that are working and are seeking to support the church and you are not doing your part. So there's a little bit of a, we're now into the discipline phase. (laughs) Let's stop handing out food to them at the weekly meeting. If they're going to show up and this is, you know, they're just going to freeload. So we have this phrase, right? Idle hands are the devil's handiwork. Some people do think it's in the Bible. And interestingly, if you have the original living Bible and you were hoping up to Proverbs 16:27. it's actually in there, they, they went ahead and, and it's a little bit looser translation. If you have the new living, they corrected, I think some, maybe some, some issues here. But Proverbs 16:27 just simply says, a worthless man plots evil. But in, in, that trend, in that version of it, they went ahead and inserted the devil's <laughs> idle hands or the devil's handiwork. So there's some assumption made there of what the worthless man is. Someone that just has nothing to do, sits around and thinks up things to do that aren't healthy. But the idea is there, right? And Paul is calling out this, this primary problem in the church, But really, it's the secondary issue that comes out of this primary issue that he's going to talk about here in chapter five. But we have to know that background of what's going on in order to understand how this is affecting unity. Because what's happening is there's frustration developing between those that are pulling their weight with those that are not pulling their weight. And those that are as I want to say loafers versus the leaders in the church, the leaders that are laboring and doing all the things and, 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 and being a, a leading through example are looking at those that are not and saying, oh, come on guys, come on. They're, they're losing patience and they're admonishing and they're, and the people that, that are kind of hanging back or getting frustrated and saying, yeah, stop, stop nagging on us. And so Paul sees that there's an opportunity for division here that he needs to get in front of. And as we've been going through the series, practically speaking, we've been generally answering the question of what happens when the gospel takes root. Well, today it's, it's this one phrase. The, when the gospel takes root, people become more important than programs as peace and patience prevail. And Chris wasn't here, so I went with some alliteration because he's kind of allergic. But there was already peace and patience, so it just made sense to just keep throwing the peas out there. But people become more important because that's what really Paul is getting at in this passage is that we all work hard at the things that we want to see happen, right? Our, our little programs, our things that we want to see happen. We, we want to get other people excited as well. And we can get frustrated when other people don't get the vision. And we lose sight of the fact that this is all about people anyway. And, and so let's, let's go to these, these passages, just a few short verses in chapter 5, verse 12. Verse 12. And we're going to see how peace and patience prevails when the gospel takes root so that we can now become, we can now put people over everything else. The people people are critical. So read read with me verses 12 and 13 and 14. We ask you, brothers and sisters, this is talking to the whole church, to respect those or honor those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So he first starts by zooming in on the leaders. And he's telling the loafers to say, you need to honor these people. And I know there's, there's this ongoing persistent problem, but these, there's these people that are leaders among you that are doing the right thing. They are working. They're, they're seeking other, the good of other people. They're seeking the good of the church. And frustration is starting to boil over and they keep trying to pull you in and they're, they're losing their patience. <laughs> we need to be at peace, peace among yourselves, peace and patience and the leaders as well. Be, be patient with those that just are not quite there yet. And it it reminded me a little bit of, you know, going back to the Thanksgiving idea. Um, Anybody had, you don't? hopefully they're not sitting on your row with you today, but that, that person that comes to Thanksgiving every year and never brings anything, never helps cook, never helps clean, just kind of eats and sits. How, how does that often turn a celebration of gratitude sour? Uh, Uncle, you know, Henry, always coming, never helps, just makes a mess, causes arguments, eats all the pie, and then leaves, and we got a big pile of, right? That's, that's almost part, we know that's almost part of it, that, that there's, there's it, life isn't fair even in the celebration. Somebody's going to have to wash all those dishes, and somebody's probably going to sit down and watch football all day right? And, and it, when we get focused on that, the frustration starts to boil over. It made me really think about the prodigal son as I consider this passage. Think about the story of the prodigal son. There's two brothers, right? We call it the prodigal son, and so we always think about the prodigal son. But who was Jesus talking to? Who did he tell the story to? Pharisees, religious leaders, the ones that were doing all the work, the older brothers. And so you have a story where the younger brother, yeah, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He's lazy, he takes advantage of his father, and he takes off and he burns through the family wealth while his brother is faithful, stays on the farm, works hard. And then when his brother returns, what does his father do? Throws him a party. And he doesn't even go out and tell the older brother. The older brother has to find out from a servant. He hears all the noise and he goes to the servant and says, what is happening? I'm out here trying to get some work done. I'm fencing, I'm doing whatever you did. And, and, and there's a party going on, what's happening? And they say, oh, your brother's returned. Your dad has killed the fattened calf. Well, what kind of mood did the older brother get into real quick? What is dad thinking? We shouldn't have even accepted this guy back, much less thrown a party for him. And he storms in and he says, dad, Your son has squandered everything, and I have been here working, and here you give him a party, you kill the fatted calf, you haven't even given me a goat for me and my friends to have a party with. What is the father's reply? Son, you've been faithful and everything I have is yours, but your son was dead and now he is alive. He's come back. You see, the prodigal son had become so bitter over the extra burden that he had to carry because of his loafer of a brother, that he couldn't see the value of his son, of his brother returning. And so his program, running the farm, running the family business, had become way more important than the value of his brother. And I always have to remember that Jesus told that story not to a bunch of prodigals, but to a bunch of older brothers. And in the church, if you've you've volunteered or been a part of any kind of, you know, program or aspect, ministry, we don't like to use the word program, ministry, you know that you step into that and then you, you get busy working and pretty soon you start noticing all the people standing around. You say, wait a minute, I'm the one doing all the work. How come no one else is helping? And then people start to just get a little bit lower than your ministry, your calling, your program. And so, although this particular issue, this primary issue is that of idleness in in the church, really this could be applied to anything that starts to split us based on this older, younger brother concept. That when we start to look around and say, they are not carrying their weight, they're not doing what they need to do. I'm the only one here that's working. So Paul has words to both groups because isn't it interesting about the church is that at any given time we can find ourselves on one side or the other of that wall. There's been many times where I've been on the side of the leader that's laboring, as I said, and working hard and is getting frustrated. Why am I the only one that works? And then there's the other side of it where I've been on the other side where I've had to be admonished. Hey, what are you doing? Oh. You're, being a, you're, you're kind of being lazy. You're being low the one that needs to be admonished and the one giving the admonishing. We, we find ourselves on both sides of that wall often in the church. And if we don't begin to, to see that the gospel raises people on either side above that wall, and we can begin to look at each other and say, you know what? At different times, we're doing different things, but unity wins it all because of the love of Christ. We can easily get fractured with our little... Are issues that become more important than people. And so you remember Ephesians, we read Ephesians, and I said there was a phrase in there that was gonna be important, bear one another in burden, or bear one another in love. That's exactly what Paul is calling us to do here. When I was a college student, I got to experience something through our, our ministry at, our, at, our, at my university um, campus crusade, and I've tried to replicate it over the years on my own but in this particular original experience I had no idea what was going on we just went on a fall retreat and they separated all the guys out one morning and all we were told we got together and it was kind of like a boot camp atmosphere so we were run through exercises and we were doing jumping jacks and and doing stuff, manly stuff, and and then I, we were told two things. Okay, we're about to go for a little jog, and as you do it, there's two rules. You keep your eyes at the guy in front of you, and you take what's given to you, and that was all we were told, so we start running, and we're going through the woods and stuff, and then along the way, there'd be people doing different things that, as I found out later, were trying to distract us, trying to get our eyes off of the person in front of us, and I got dean because I'm going along, and, and the director, his name's Bob, was sitting there with a the camera, and he said, hey, Matt, and i Smile, Jogged on by and goes, here, and it gives me this ticket. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Um, And so there's things like that. You get get to the end and then they collect the tickets and whoever had a ticket then resulted in a consequence. So they either had their hands tied together or their legs tied together or they were blindfolded or all, you know, combination of those things. And then you were put in groups and then you had to go do a, a obstacle course. And so now you had five, six guys, half of which are tied up or blind and you had to get through these obstacles together. And that's when you realize there's one other component I haven't mentioned in this whole process and it's pride, right? Cause if we're saying we need to bear one another's burdens and love and be in all humility, that means that pride is probably the enemy of this whole process that, that whenever I have to look around and, and go, wait, I got to carry this guy just because he couldn't follow the rules I got to carry him? And at first it's fun, but then it's frustrating. And then it's the pride of like, come on, this is okay. Jokes, joke's over guys, you know, as you're blindfolded and being hoisted over a 10 foot wall or something. Okay, it's funny. But how true is that when we got done and that has stuck with me all these years. And it was such a, a an experience that I've wanted to replicate it. I think I even did it here early on. I think, I don't know, is Nate here? Nate's not here. I think he was blindfolded. Um, and it always has the same result is, is we remember, wow, I just didn't think I was so controlling and so prideful. And I, I thought I really was a good teammate until I had to carry all this dead weight. We're great teammates when everybody's working together, right? That, that Lord's supper time, it, it always makes me think, was that like the remember the Titans moment when suddenly the coach is finally going, hey guys, we're not gonna win if you don't get together. And then I realize, no, they didn't get it even then. It wasn't that moment. They continued to have problems. And even now the church is still not coming together because of pride. And so these two exhortations, be at peace among yourselves and be patient with them all. Pride just keeps us from doing that because we look and say, okay, we have all these obstacles to get over, but you just aren't carrying your weight. And I'm having to carry you from thing to thing to thing. And so as we're called to bear one another's burdens, I thought I would kind of put that in that vernacular and these different admonitions to both the leaders and the loafers, depending on where we find ourselves at any given moment. The first one is we're supposed to bear the burden of the leaders, right? Bear up their burden by honoring them and respecting them. The people that labor among us. Now, some of you labor in a ministry that I'm not going to join in with. But I can honor you. I can respect you. I can try to help. I can pull other people to your cause, but I honor it. I lift you up because it's difficult to be a leader. And many people want to blame organized religion as the problems of, our, of, of the cause of the church. we can see here very early on, there was a sense of organization. I think the bigger problem is disorganized religion, which is more common, right? is you doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, and we don't, we don't come together in unity. But when I bear the burden of the leader, those of you in this church that labor, that, that seek, you know, like the, you're leading every week at Awana, you're leading in the children's area, the youth area, you're, you're leading in, in worship, you're, you're leading in setting out food and laboring to have that, that food for people in your ABF, honor those people, bear that burden with them, come alongside them and say, I, I've seen what you've done and I appreciate it. It does so much for the unity of the body when we show appreciation for those that serve and come alongside. And, and so many times, Dave and I and Chris, we get a lot of it, but I know there's a lot of you, I, this isn't talking to the, you know, I don't think there were full-time paid pastors at this time. There were a, a whole lot of lay leaders that were laboring and, and working. And so Paul is pointing them out and giving them appreciation, but he's also calling them to bear that burden to those that are not pulling their own weight to say, hey, I get it, you're, you're not quite there yet to understand your calling, but these guys are doing a good job. Honor them. So we can bear the burden of the leader. But then as he's, he, the rest of it is all to the leader. So if right now, if you're thinking you're in that camp of I'm, hey, I'm laboring, I'm doing what I'm, I'm the older brother, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. The rest of these burdens are on you. It says, we urge you brothers, verse 14, admonish the idol. So we're to bear the burden of the idol, the people not carrying their own weight. The implication there is sometimes we got to pick up the guy that isn't walking on his own. Sometimes we gotta carry that weight. And at the very end, we're told to be patient with them all. So that patience is applied to each one of these three admonishments to us leaders. This burden that I carry, I need to be patient with the one that has not grown enough to walk on his own. Be patient with that one. Bear the burden of the one that is idle. And isn't that a burden in and of itself to continue to admonish, to continue to teach, continue to encourage? When dealing with small children and you're trying to teach them and train them to do just tasks that you're thinking, why don't they get this yet? Just eating (laughs) should be a natural thing. You should eventually learn to eat using the restroom properly. Why do we keep cleaning up this mess? All right, cleaning up the mess, cleaning up the mess. Continuing to say and admonish, no, this is how you do it, this is how you do it. And it can get frustrating, you can lose your patience. We forget and we start to think that all these people in the church that aren't carrying their weight, and we begin to accuse them of of things and vilify them of things and forget that no, we're all part of the body, and it's so it's like I'm yelling at my left hand while my right hand's doing all the work. Admonish the idol. So we bear the burden of the idol. We're to encourage the faint-hearted. So we bear the burden of what I would say is the spiritually ignorant, because why are they faint-hearted within the context of this letter? Dave just got done spending a couple weeks in this letter all about teaching on end times and what is happening to all of our fellow believers that are dying, and they were growing faint-hearted. They were being discouraged out of ignorance. I don't want you to be uninformed brothers of what happens to those that die in Christ. So those that are leaders that understand these things can come alongside and bear the burden of those that are spiritually ignorant and realize that probably something you know about scripture, you're working side by side with someone that doesn't know. And we need to be patient as we walk through these issues that are very difficult, hard issues. So that's a burden that we bear in love. And then the last one, help the weak. And I would say this is bearing the burden of the spiritually immature. When it says weak here, this is the person that is spiritually immature. And that may be the root source of their idleness. But it could be a, a, you know, show itself in so many different ways. But the, the source issue here is that they have not grown spiritually to the extent that you have. And we are all growing at different paces and in different ways through different methods. And I can start to compare and contrast and say, come on, guys, come on. You should get this by now. Now, there are times where Paul, remember elsewhere in other letters... You guys should be eating steak by now. I'm still continuing to have to give you milk. He says that to the Corinthian church. So there are times when we have to say, you know, okay, you've been here longer. You should know this. Let, let's, but it's not an abandonment, losing patience kind of encouragement. It's to say, let's sit down. Let's go through this again. What do we got to do? Where do we got to get, I, I would, uh, I would not do well as a math teacher if this was an equivalent process to say, I already told you once, why aren't you getting it? <laughs> why do I have to sit down and continue to show this to you? But then I forget, as a student, I was not good at math and I needed someone to sit down with me and show me over and over and over and start to connect the dots for me and say, now this does this and this does this because I had to have that repetition and I had that, have that process. And I, and I would get so frustrated when a teacher would do the very things that I often do to say, I already told you. We already covered this. Come on, we're moving on ahead. So often I felt like in algebra class that like the class was in a wagon and I fell off it like an hour ago and they're just going. And i just, I can't catch up. And the next wagon's about to run me over. We bear the burden of the weak. Ultimately be patient with them all. Patient with them all. Now this whole Cause of disunity can lead to some serious frustration, and it's going to make division happen. And when that happens, verse 15 comes up, and Paul realizes that if you aren't bearing the burden in love, you may seek to repay. It says, "See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone." We want to try to preempt this with our patience and our peace and our love. But when personal hurts occur because of the weak, because of those that are uninformed, whenever we get affronted, when our ministry isn't valued or we think so, aren't valued, people don't come alongside us like we think they should, bitterness starts setting in and those thoughts of revenge. And it says, don't repay evil for evil. In fact, we aren't even supposed to say neutral on this. Revenge has no place in the body of Christ. In the family of Christ, we are not to repay evil for evil. Jesus really reset this in Matthew five. If you remember the old Testament had said, eye for an eye tooth for a tooth. And Jesus, what did he say? I say, give him the other one. And it probably shocked his listeners to think, no, the Bible already told us because here's the problem. Those laws have been given to hold back evil, to hold back people that would take advantage. They were not given to give permission of revenge because in the same book, God says, revenge is mine. I will repay. But instead, after centuries and centuries of people saying, no, law gives me permission to take advantage and get, and get revenge. Jesus had to stand up and kind of have a course correction with his people to say no. And in fact, in the church, it's going to be the opposite. If someone takes your cloak, go ahead and give him your tunic. Also, if someone says, carry this for a mile, carry for two miles. Because revenge doesn't have a place in the body of Christ. And as we, as frustrations occur, as happens in an unfair world, as as inequity is realized, as we work together, those personal hurts and offenses have to be given over to God and trust in him. And so what does that look like when I think about what does it look like to, to create unity in an unfair world? What does it look like to be patient with them all, to have peace with them all. What does that look like? Think about in your particular circle of friends and your ministry area. What does that look like for you? Because I can't really answer that question. What does it look like to always remember its people over programs, to be able to frame behavior that frustrates you in a spiritual growth context that, okay, this person, they're not doing what I'd like them to do. They're not responding. How can I step in and help them grow? See, that's a completely different paradigm. And it actually brings unity because now I'm getting next to that teammate who keeps missing that block (laughs) and saying, okay, let's work on your form together. Let's practice together. Because I'm recognizing that your failure in this area has to do with your development more than anything else. Because you're a person that God loves. You're a person that Christ died for. You're a person that has been redeemed just like me. And next year, these roles may be reversed. You may be stepping into my life, giving me encouragement, being patient with me when I don't get something. So we can come together as one in a spirit of unity. And we realize that we are truly one one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one hope, one gospel. And when we truly are in one in the gospel and it takes root in our lives, then people are more important than programs and peace and patience prevail in our lives and in our heart. God, we lift you up today. We thank you that you knew us so well, our broken selves, our fractured selves, that you could send your son to not only save us individually, but bring us together and save us corporately. All these things that get in the way of our growth as a church, that you step in and you speak to those things. And we pray right now in our spirit of thanksgiving as we walk towards Christmas and the gift-giving season and the generosity of it all, that we would seek the unity of the body. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: No. Oh. I've never known anything or felt anything like the love of Jesus It's hard to describe what's happening inside But right now all I know is It feels like redemption is raining down on me It feels like forgiveness has come to set me free How my chains have been lifted. Cause when the hand of love tells you broken life, it feels like redemption. Oh, and I know how healing feels Cause all of my pain and all of my shame And all of my tears have been erased It feels like redemption is raining down on me It feels like forgiveness come to set me free, and all my chains have been lifted, cause when the hands of love touch a broken life, it feels like, say goodbye, the past is ending, say hello, to a new beginning, oh night, the sun is shining. Shining down on me It feels like redemption Is raining down on me It feels like forgiveness Has come to set me free All my chains have been lifted when the hands of love touch a broken life When the hand of love touch a broken life It feels like redemption